Sports are such a big part of all of our lives. From the big plays to the unforgettable games, they continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors, and heroes of our time when the game is finally over and the sport they love and work their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Life Beyond the Game. Got a really cool guest today. His name is Reggie Walker. He has been uh, he played in the NFL for, I think, his six accredited seasons. He says he played for seven. He got cut after training camp. Played for a few different teams. Uh, went to Kansas State. Had a, a wild journey there as well. He's dealt with a lot. Uh, very up and down career. But it's a really cool story, especially for those of you athletes that um, are just you know, coming up in college, um, understanding that you don't need to be an All-American or a top player on your team to make it the NFL. If you figure out how to add value in the way that you know how um, and playing the game, as it were, uh, there's just a lot of different things that go into making it in the NFL. And Reggie figured those things out. He was not a full-time starter in college, ended up playing seven years in the NFL and worked his way to becoming a starter. He was almost in the Pro Bowl. Uh, for special teams one year and just figured out a way to carve out a really nice career for himself. And like me, he came to the end of his career and realized that, you know, he didn't want to put in, you know, the more damage, uh, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally that it takes to perform at such a high level and ended up deciding to walk away. Um, in his transition, he dealt with some struggles just like most of us do. And, uh, he actually went to a, a treatment center and he's very open and vulnerable and about sharing that story in this podcast. I really hope you get a lot of value out of it, just like I did. Um, yeah. Enjoy the episode. All right, Reggie, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me, Joe. Yeah, man. I'm really stoked to dive in, um, especially what you're working on now is very aligned with kind of my purpose and my mission. Um, but before we get there, let's talk about who you are a little bit and then your journey through athletics and uh, what your career was like. Okay. Who I am. Okay. So, uh, you know, I was like, like a lot of kids. Um, I... I remember the first time I watched football that it had such a profound effect on me because I remember sitting with my dad and looking at the TV screen. And I remember it was Colorado playing, I think, Nebraska. And I remember looking at it and asking my dad, like, wow, what is this? And he was like, dude, this is football, man. And I was like, who are these people? And he was just like, dude, these are just humans, man. You can do the same thing. And ever since I heard that, I just really clung to that because I remember seeing football players. To me, they were heroes. They were these mythical, like, legends like Hercules. These were just, it was something that I 
set my um, my sights on at such a young, like an early age. I wanted to be a football player ever since I saw it at the age of five. And I did everything possible to make sure that that happened. Um, I, I remember I was 11, 12 years old and I would wait for my parents and everyone to go to sleep. And then I would act like I was asleep and then walk into the living room and my dad had record crates and I would just like lift, do any kind of exercise I could think of with my 11, 12 year old brain to just get stronger and bigger. And I used to do that. I used to work myself out to exhaustion like every night. Wow. Um, even when you were so young, huh? When I was young, I wanted it bad. Um, oh. And I got good and I ended up, I was a high recruit coming out of high school. When did you first really start playing? What age? I think five. You started playing at five. Wow. Yeah, and where did you grow up? Huh? And where did you grow up? Uh, I am a military brat, so I was all over the place. All over the place. Okay. Yeah. Was it was like military schools you went to, or you just kind of hop around in public schools? I hopped around in public schools. My dad stayed in, to, stayed in the service longer than my mom. He worked at a lot of military schools. Um, and wherever he would go, we would go. So I used to live, I lived in North Carolina, I lived in Missouri, I lived in California. Those were the three big places. Um, I tell people I'm from California, but I technically spent more time out in Missouri than any other place. Mm. But, you know, I still... And so when you moved around different different football teams at such a young age, how did that affect you and what kind of lessons did you learn by doing that? Like, did you have to... Did you play your, like, whole high school career somewhere or were you constantly changing teams and having to fit in with different groups of people? Ooh, so... In like from about five to about 14, I was in Missouri and in Missouri, we played, I played football there. I started with flag, worked my way up to tackle because they were doing tackle in middle school. Um, And then we moved out to California. um, And then I did, um, I did I, I I didn't do anything until I got back to high school because I was in middle school. Yeah, we did flag in middle school. And then when I got to high school, we did tackle. And it was definitely a culture shock. And um, I think seeing everyone's abilities was a shock too because the talent level in California was just so much different than it was in, in Missouri. Everyone was bigger, faster. Uh, they had... And then the the reasoning behind being good was just a whole lot different than in Missouri. People in Missouri, people were doing it for like the fun of it. In California, I feel like people were doing it to get get themselves out of their situation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, how how did that affect your play, and how did that lead to the you know reaching the next level in college? And where did you end up going? Oh, so I, how it affected my play was. when you're in an an environment around people who are using football as a tool to get out because the situations around you are so bad, um, you, from being around them, it increases your level of play because I got really good being in that environment. And we all worked hard together to get ourselves out. Um, And we, we, we formed really good, deep bonds uh, with that struggle. And, um, it was only about 
two or three of us, I think in total, maybe five of us got out. Um, and then I ended up going to Kansas State, um, which was a so-so experience. Um, it, it, but I, it was great that I got to play in the Big 12 and play in one of the best conferences in the country and play against some of the best talent that was available. And, you know, I held my own. Yeah. What position were you playing? Linebacker. Linebacker. Mm-hmm. And, okay. So talk about your journey through, through Kansas State and then into, into the pros. What was that journey like? Kansas State was an experience. Um, so I, my first year, um, I came, I, I came there to play under Bill Snyder, you know, legendary coach, and he was a great dude, loved him. He ended up retiring for the first time um, when I was there, and we got a new guy, uh, Ron Prince. And then the next three years, to put it in brief, were basically hell. It was awful. Um, oh, we sucked. We are awful. We were getting our ass beat every week. Um, for the most part, uh, the inner turmoil of being on a losing team and a very depressed team, it just weighed on you constantly. Plus two, I had a lot of, uh, I, I had a lot of trauma growing up with mental, physical and sexual abuse. And during my college time, especially when it got to my, my junior year, that's when a lot of the effects started popping up and I was clinically depressed. I was, uh, clinically depressed. I had clinical anxiety. Um, and I didn't know it at the time and it getting through college, uh, for many moments was big time trouble, big time Mm. trouble. Yeah. And how did that, that experience, um, you know, dealing with failure and then dealing with this emotional, mental, you know, and physical traumas that are manifesting from, you know, a young age into that kind of toxic environment. What kind of lessons did that teach you? And how did that, you know, translate into your time in the NFL? I mean, cause you weren't drafted, right? Uh-uh. Yeah. So talk about that journey and the lessons you learned and, and how that affected you even going into the next level. Ooh, I feel I, looking back at it, I was, I, even though the period in college was so brutal, I am glad that it happened because it really did prepare me for the NFL because the NFL was even worse um, <laughs> as far as the po- the politics go. And, you know, the yeah. political side of it, um, the what's asked of you. Um, I felt as if I got a lot of that training from college as far as when it came to the political side. It had, I understood that it's more than just being talented to get on the field. Like you need to be valuable. You need to understand how you can, um, be more valuable every day, every single day. Um, your job's on the line and you're going to, whether or not you're going to play is on the line because in college, I never started more than half a season, any season. And, um, because it was, it was how they did things was very much so like an NFL environment. And as far as, it's what have you done for me lately? It didn't matter that I, you know, I remember one week we played Texas Tech and I was the ABC player of the week. And then the next week I played two plays in the next game. Um, wow. Because 
I made one mistake in the Texas State game that they were like, oh, this is awful. We don't need that. So you're not going to play. And just wow. like in the league, you know, you could get two sacks in a game, but if you made that one play, you may not be on the team the next week. Yeah. And so I got acclimated to that side of things very early, which really helped me to excel in the league. Because when it came to the politics, I knew it. I knew how to deal with it. I knew that people were um, every every day that I knew I needed to have the offensive coordinator on my side and the offensive line coach and everyone needed to know me and I needed to have good relationships because I knew that behind at, at the end of every day, they're going to sit behind closed doors and talk about everyone on the roster. And I knew that I needed them to say good things about me. So I understood that aspect really early, um, which saved my ass in a lot of ways. Plus understanding how to present my value and increase how valuable I am by the day. I understood that quick because if I didn't understand, understanding situations too, you know, because you know, guys are getting hurt all the time. And I was a linebacker. And one of the biggest reasons why I even played in the first place was we had, we were doing a three, four. I'm an inside guy. I did a little bit of pass rush stuff in college. We had some guys get hurt on the outside. Um, I did some practice squad. I did some reps, took some practice squad guys out. I worked with the tackles. Two weeks later, I'm starting on outside. Wow. Because um, I saw the opportunity. And that's what helped, helped me play as long as I did in the league. But I understood these aspects early. And that really yeah. helped me last. How did you handle, at such a young age in college, going from having a really good game and being the ABC player of the week, but then one thing that happened in your coaches pretty much bench you the following. How do you handle that like emotionally? Because a lot of guys, especially at that age, they you know, they feel depressed. They start pointing the finger. They feel like the victim. And they're like, man, these coaches don't get it. Like, And their ego says, like, I'm obviously the best because I made this player of the week. And then why are they benching me? And it kind of creates this downward spiral. Like, How do you get out of that and show up and continue to work and, and show up in the way that they want you to show up when you feel like you're just being kind of put down? Well, I had to learn how to handle that situation um, correctly through trial and error because I didn't have mentors. I didn't have people I could look up to. I didn't have anyone. I didn't really have help. So how I learned how to handle it the right way was doing it the wrong way a bunch of times. I remember uh, when I first got benched, even though I shouldn't have gotten benched, I remember I drank. I went and drank. I remember I went and partied, did that for a while, realized that this is stupid. I'm hurting myself on the field, got myself together. And then it took a lot of just trial and error until I realized, okay, this is the correct way of handling things. All right. Instead of um, being so upset and being taken over by my emotions, I'm going to set up a plan to make sure that I play and make it. I, I got really good at understanding how to put like when it comes to controlling the controllables, the things that I controlled, I wanted to make sure that I was so excellent and so good at the things that I could control that if someone wasn't going to play me, it wasn't going to be because of me. It was going to be because they're obviously um, out to get me or they're obviously trying their damnedest not to play me because of something other than what's going on in the field. I really tried to make put the ball in their court. And I would do things like show up to meetings early, stay late, uh, 
when I'm in the weight room and working my tail off, when it came to the meetings, I'm answering questions. When it came to on the field, I'm trying to, I, I'm like offering myself up to play other positions. I'm trying other positions. I'm doing whatever, po- it, uh, whatever it takes to get onto that field. I'm forming relationships with coaches. I'm doing whatever is necessary and I'm doing it um, with my mouth closed. Mm. I'm not out here, you know, telling everyone how good I am. I'm not complaining. I'm not doing anything that's going to look bad upon me. I'm just doing what I can do to the best of my ability. Yeah, man. I feel the same way. Like learning that lesson on how to navigate the, the emotional and mental side and being able to show up and do what you need to do to be successful and not be kind of put down by what the coaches think. I had a very similar experience when I was in the NFL, actually. Like I lost my starting job five different times. One time was because I blew my knee out, but a lot of times like they drafted a first round pick to replace me and then I just got benched. And it was like so hard to deal with that emotionally and mentally. But then I realized like I have to show up and not wait for my opportunity. I have to go make the opportunity. And there's so much different levels. It's not just about playing on the field. It's like you said, showing up and creating the right relationships, creating that value making sure you're needed because there is so many, like so few opportunities, especially in the NFL. And you have to be ready when those opportunities present themselves. So talk about your journey from college into the league, especially as not a full-time starter. A lot of guys think they need to be this like all time, you know, all conference, all American player in their college to make it to the NFL. But a lot of guys, they, they figure out the system, they show up and work their tails off. So talk about your journey into the NFL and then like how many years you played and what that, what that journey was like. Oh, no problem. No, you nailed it. Um, you definitely do not need to be all conference, all college football, everything to have a great NFL career. I was not. I think I was honorable mention Big 12 one time or something. I don't even know. It, it was that. The one time, I think, my junior year. Um, but other than that, you know, I never started more than half the season. The thing that, you, you know, and you nailed it was you just need to show that you're valuable. And under and understanding the system, just like you said, the windows of opportunity are going to be few and far in between, few and far between, and you really have to understand how to create your opportunity. So when I came in as an undrafted free agent, um, understanding the political spectrum of things, and understanding too because I'm a linebacker and we had guys because they had just had a Super Bowl run, the Cardinals. Um, the, the, uh, they're starters on defense. These guys are going to play. It doesn't matter how good I am. I understood mm. that off the top. So I need to show that I'm valuable. So I came in to plant. I came into camp with a plan. I knew that, hey, they're doing a 3-4 defense. They have two undrafted free agents behind the two starters. I need to beat one of them out. And, mm-hmm. and how I'm going to beat them out is not only being excellent in practice and knowing my plays, but I'm going to have to be a great special teams player. Um, yeah, I have to. These are have-tos. I need to show that I'm better than these guys on the field, in the classroom, and in special teams. And that's how I'm going to make the team. And that's what I did. Um, and then each year that I was in, I had different goals. Like when I came into my second year, I was like, okay, I proved that I'm a good special teams player. I'm going to make the make the Pro Bowl my second year. That, that was a goal. And then I'm going to make sure I get my way on the defense some way, shape, or form. And 
even though I did not make the Pro Bowl that year, I definitely should have. Um, mm. But you and I both know how political that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Only like I a third the, of that is actual votes from actual play on the field, right? Then it's all yeah. popularity contests. And popularity contests. Yeah, if they have good, if the teams have good fan base interactive actions, ugh, it was awful because I was the best player in the NFL on special teams my second year, and I will, and I, and, and I challenge anyone to look at the tape if you want to see otherwise. But um, no, so then I came into my third year, was a team captain, got voted by the team to be a team captain. Um, since I played a little bit on defense my second year, going into my third year, I carved out a role on our defense got caught into a situation like you. They drafted a guy in the second round. Um, and even though he wasn't ready to play at that time, um, he has more money than me since I'm an yeah. undrafted guy. So they gave him my spot. Um, I still didn't, I didn't let it get down on me. And that's when I realized, okay, we have some opportunity on the outside. Let me show that I can do that. Did it for two weeks worth of practices, and then the next week had a guy go down, and then next thing you know, I'm starting. And mm. I played a lot doing that. Um, ended up playing that year out. Um, and then because I showed that I was valuable on special teams as well as playing all different linebacker positions, I got picked up um, by a different team because I chose to leave the Cardinals. And then there, when I was in San Diego, I got to play a lot on defense. Got to play a lot on defense, not so much on special teams. And it was great. Um, finally got into the position I wanted to do it, uh, to be in, being a starter, being someone that the game plans are written around. And it was a great experience. But then that was literally, um, that was like my whole goal. I, I didn't have any bigger goals than that. I knew I didn't want to play 10 years. I knew um, when it came down to the facts of things, since you're burning the candle at both ends, I knew I didn't want to be a player that I didn't want to be a guy that my kids are going to have to take care of for mm. their whole life growing up. I wanted to make sure I could be there for them. So I chose to leave after that. Um, and how many years did you play? I, I played, I have six accredited, but I say I have seven because my ass was in Denver uh, for that training camp and I was taking all those leads. So in my eyes, that counted. Um, but I got six accredited, um, even though I do say, tell people I have seven. Yeah. So you got you played your last training camp in Denver and then you ended up getting released or what happened I, there? Oh, yeah. I was so done. I was, I was one foot in, one foot out. And just like, you know, they probably tell you, you just... You come to a point and where it's just, you know, you're done. Yeah. You're done. I was mentally done. it's hard done. to compete at that level when you're mm -hmm. not fully committed because it is so competitive and you have to perform at such a high level constantly that it's like as soon as you decide it's, it's time to move on and it's almost like you have to figure you have it to. out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because then it's dangerous. Then it's yeah. really dangerous. Yeah. Um, then it's really dangerous when you're taking a lead on and you're kind of like, ah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, that is a dangerous place to be. And when, and I, 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 I thank God for that last training camp in Denver because we took on leads every single day. And then how we were taught to take on blockers was basically like, go kill his ass. 
And, <laughs> and I was so physically done at this point. I couldn't, I was feeling every single hit. Uh, it made sure, it, like, at, when that camp was over with, when they released me, I was like, praying to God, like, thank you. Because I didn't want to get back my signing bonus. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you would have walked away on your own, you would have had to pay back that. Yeah, that money. but I was definitely done. It took a whole week for me to realize I was done. When yeah. did that journey start of, be, of deciding you were done? Like, was it a slow process towards the latter part of your career? Was it like, okay, this is it? And when, when was that? Um, I would say my sixth year in San Diego. I um, the third game of the year, I I got a high ankle sprain what they called a high ankle sprain. Um, but it, it was bad. I, it, I was out for four weeks. And then even when I came back, I had to take two shots of turtle every game. And it still wasn't, I still couldn't stop. And I couldn't put any weight on my left leg, even with two turtle shots. Um, but that year for sure, because I was hurt. Um, things just weren't the same. And mentally, I was really going through it because I think the effects of some of the trauma that I went through was really coming back to bite me. Plus the life of being an NFL athlete, I was just getting so sick and tired of it. Um, I was missing everything with my kids. I was, things on a team were just awful. Um, And then I remember I sat down and had a conversation with uh, Antonio Gates, actually. And he kind of broke down a lot of things with the NFL that I needed to hear. Like, man, like, dude, you have all the talent in the world to be this $50 million linebacker, but this is what comes with it. And when they broke everything down, when he broke everything down to me, I was like, I don't want that. It really, it really just clicked because it was a big question I had been asking myself for years. Do I really want to? fight to be this guy because you know that, you know, yeah, it's nice having a huge contract, but with that contract comes a huge, a lot of responsibility. And if you're not meeting that criteria week in and week out, they're going to get you out of there even faster having those big deals. And a lot of things that are asked of you once you have those big deals, I didn't want to do. Like, you're already, you're already playing hurt. I'm not going to sit here and be forced to go out there because I have this deal and to keep my ass in here. Like, I don't know. I'm not going to No, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that. That was my limit. You know, yeah. I, you know, that was my limit. I reached my limit as, as far as like what I was willing to do and what I wasn't willing to do. And yeah. so you come to the end, you get cut in that final training camp, a little bit of, relief almost because you you know that it's over um mm. talk about that transition the initial transition when the thing that you've been playing your entire life that you decided when you were five years old that you wanted to play and you worked so hard and it was all finally over i know it's a bittersweet thing when you play at that level because there is a part of us that's like super excited about you know the freedom and what's next and challenging ourselves in new ways and not our body physically not being in so much pain and the emotions and mental side of it that people don't even realize how difficult that is. Like having all of that in the rear view, there's a part of me that's so excited, but then there's this piece that like, man, I'm never going to be able to play this game. I love so much as well. So talk about how you handled that and what that journey was like initially when you, when you left the game. Oh, initially it was just like you said, it. there was a huge, uh, 
weight off my shoulders because I didn't realize until I was done and admitted to myself, dude, you're done. You're not doing this anymore. Even if you get calls, you're not going back. And luckily I did get two calls from two teams that that wanted me to come back. And I I got to tell them no um, to solidify it even with myself that I was done because I was like on the phone, like, man, I could go out here and do it again. And I could stretch it out and that's a lot of money. But then knowing deep down, there's nothing, there's no way I want to be out there. Mm. So it was good that it happened. But that transition at first, like the first year was great. I physically was so hurt. I was on the couch all the time. I played a ton of video games and spent time with the family. And I was basically Mr. Mom. Then when it got to the second year, that's when things started kind of popping up. Um, you know, the fact that when you're trying to be a, an athlete on that level, you have to cl- you have to put the blinders on to, you know, a lot of stuff going on in your personal life or stuff that's going on with your family or stuff that's going on with yourself. And a lot of these things started popping up. And then I started sinking. I started sinking big time. I... Ended up having to go to a treatment center because my depression was so bad. I was suicidal. I was, because I had no purpose. I had no purpose in all of my issues that I hadn't dealt with properly all started hitting me at once. And then when you're sitting at, and you have all this time to just think and think and play the woulda, coulda, shouldas, and really look back at things retrospectively, it just did me in. So I ended up going to a treatment center for 30 days. Thank God I went because I would have killed myself if that didn't happen. I went there. Yeah. It was great. So great because I got to answer that question like, what am I going to do now? What do I want to do now? What's the purpose of me being here? Um, and that's when I wrote that program that we, I wrote this program to help all the people that were going through their same process succeed at a different, higher level. That's why I wrote my book and that should be out within a year. Um, but that's when that purpose piece started going in. And that's probably one of the most important parts of the transition is you need to have purpose. Mm. Um, all You need to put all that energy that you built up all these years, uh, that muscle that you built, that resilient muscle, you need to put it towards accomplishing something. And I wasn't accomplishing anything. And when you're used to accomplishing stuff every single day, and then it, it just abruptly stops, and then you sit with that for a while, eventually it starts, you start going crazy yeah. if you don't do anything about it. And that's what happened to me. Um, for a good portion of those first year, the first year or two when I got out, yeah, what was that? Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, thanks for you know, answering the call and going and seeking help. Because I think a lot of people get stuck on that part as well. Because they, you know, especially with depression, because it's one of those things that when you experience it, you feel helpless, right? And you don't want to go talk to the people you love because you feel like nobody loves you and you feel like so isolated and alone. And for you to mm-hmm. seek help is really amazing and a testament to you and, and your strength and your vulnerability. Talk about that experience going into program, that 30-day program, like what was it that helped you find that purpose? What helped you shift that internal dialogue into trying to find 
provide value and find purpose within yourself? And, and how did, like, what tools did they use and, and what was the program like? It was great. It was life-changing. It was such a good experience that whenever I talk about my transition, I always bring up the fact that I, have to, I had to go to a treatment center. Um, because to me, I feel as if every one of every athlete, especially if you played at the level that we've gone either professionally or collegiately, um, having a period where you can debrief, decompress from the situation is vital, absolutely vital. And I never, even though I was on the couch for a year and I wasn't doing anything, I wasn't decompressing. I didn't debrief. I didn't get all of the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts that I had out. I never did that. So instead of decompressing and debriefing, I basically went through two years of just letting it all just well up until the point where it got on, got into a deal where I can control it. But when I went to the treatment center, I got a chance to just talk through things and be around people who also are going through depression and anxiety and have these issues and, um, it made me feel as if I wasn't alone. Um, mm. because before that I felt like I was completely alone in this. And then being at the treatment center, there was other athletes there too. And then when you talk to other athletes, you realize, whoa, this is a big time issue that affects all athletes, whether you're football, basketball, track, chess, doesn't matter when you're transitioning over from doing something that you put so much time and effort into for years and now you're picking up something else it's a difficult process period um but being around them and having that community that's why i love what you're doing with your community too it's so vital um and that's when i started actually reaching out to other guys who played, other guys that I had played with, other guys who I played even in college ball with, because I didn't realize how secluded I had been at that point. I The longer that I had been out, the less that I was communicating with people. And um, going to a treatment center and being around a community, oh, it saved my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, so people don't really realize, right? Like playing football, any team sport really, since you were the youngest age, when you first start playing, you're, you're in this locker room with all these like-minded guys who are focused on achieving the same goal. And it's, it teaches you so much, but you're just always around in that atmosphere. So you always feel like you have this community of brotherhood. And then when you're done, it's like, you, it's like, there's no way to prepare for that because when it's done, you're all of a sudden by yourself and isolated and you lose that community. And I think that's one of the big things that's really challenging. And it's a unique challenge because even people that are like, you know, the NFL is like, you need to be prepared. You need to have a, a plan B. Like once you leave, your life's just getting started. You need to make sure you have something to put your energy into. And it's all easy to say that, but nothing prepares you for when all of a sudden you have no coaching anymore. You have no brotherhood of support who are working towards the same goal. You just feel like kind of chewed up and washed up and, and spit out. And um, it's all just like affects you in such a profound way. And it's so good that you went out and had that community. What other what are what are some other things besides just the support of guys going through similar experiences? Was there any like tools or techniques that they use to help you dive deep into the stories and, and process those emotions? Yeah. Um a big thing that they did in the treatment center was they wanted to get to the root of what was going on, Hit, hitting things at the root. Um, not looking at the symptoms as far as 
why I'm behaving a certain way. I mean, I mean, not looking at my behaviors, but looking at the reason why I'm behaving this certain way and then um, showing it to me. And then you're in a supported environment where you, a bunch of people around you are doing the same exact thing. They're diving deep into themselves and it's a brutal process. Very mm. brutal. Oh, very brutal. Um, especially in my case, because I had I was 27 at the time and I had 27 years of worth of stuff that I had not talked through. So I was like six, seven hours of therapy every day, which mm. in my situation, that's what happened, needed to happen. Um, Talk about when you actually were able to sit in therapy and share this stuff, maybe for the first time ever and be able to like process it out loud. Like, did that instantly almost feel, make you feel lighter and like start releasing some of this internal emotional struggle? Because a lot of us think there's like, I need to get somewhere, do something to move this energy. But a lot of times there's a lot of power in just like acknowledging it and talking about it out loud. And it almost releases itself. I feel like that's 90% of it is just being able to be heard, right? Yeah, a lot of it was being heard. And a lot of it was just sitting in it. And being it, just sitting in it, like I treat people this certain way because of what happened when I was a kid, and that's what happened. And then now you're going to sit in it, but you're going to have support, but you're going to really sit into the reasons why you're the way that you are. How did you get to this place? And you're going to sit in it and you're going to understand it completely. Not just the bad feelings, but you're going to understand the good side, both sides of the equation. Um, you're going to understand the gray of it all. And, and but we're going to have, you're going to have these guides with you that are going to help you understand the gray of life. Instead of like in a football environment, it's either everything's good or bad. It's this or that, black or white. And then when you go into regular life, you really get put in this reality that is extremely gray. And the football environment, the athletic environment, to a degree, is not completely how regular life is. And as an athlete, when you get introduced to that, there's definitely going to be that like fall when you're trying to acclimate to the gray of things. So they helped me to acclimate to the gray of things. And that was. So phenomenal um, because it helped me to balance these thoughts instead of being pretty much bipolar with how I was thinking about things, um, which was and and we had we did meditation techniques, we did mantras, we did the therapy, we did journaling. One of the best things I think for athletes to do is journal, like. Mm. You can't, because we're hard. A lot of us, especially football players, we're, you know, we're mainly men. We're strong guys. We don't have emotions. But just like sitting down and just writing things down, like how I feel about this and why I feel this way. And just keep doing that um, over and over again. Like I keep a journal and I will just sit there and just work through thoughts and then kind of look at it and be like, wow, I never thought that that was why I, um, felt the way that I can, but really they got me to understand that my emotions are gateways to what I really am and understanding how to sit in my emotions so I could understand what this emotion is trying to tell me. It taught me emotional intelligence, which I did not have 
before at all. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I love journaling as well. It's like when we try and think about a situation or what's going on, we get kind of trapped in our thoughts. But if we take some time and create a little bit of space and slow down and are able to write it out, it's almost like we're having a conversation with that part of ourselves that might be triggered or emotional. And we're not that emotion or that triggered person, but we're having a conversation with that part of us. And then we can see it almost objectively and we can love that part of ourselves and process it in a different way rather than being attached to it. I love that. I mean, writing has been so impactful in my life as well. Uh, How long ago was that, was that treatment center experience for you? Uh, Man, I think, well, I actually ended up going back a second time, but the second time wasn't necessarily for the same reasons. It was more like, like a checkup. And I, and I, I think even in my life now, I'll keep going back to the treatment center from time to time just to like for tune-ups, you know, mm. because you learn so much there and it's good to have that time away from your family to just kind of get yourself together. And then once you go back to your family, your, your cup is full. Yeah. Um, Reconnecting with yourself. Right. Because when you go, yeah. it, that's why it's these, all these practices and tools, you need to constantly show up and implement them into your life because it's all about the journey. There's no actual destination to get to. And it's not like we do all this deeper work and then reach a point where we don't need it anymore because we're human. Exactly. We need to constantly be showing up, implementing these exercises. And as soon as you stop journaling or as soon as you stop meditating or as soon as you stop doing your movement practices, your emotional, mental, yeah, start getting yeah. in the way. And you're like, wait, why am I so stressed out? Why am I so anxious? Why am I showing up getting triggered more? It's because you stopped doing those things that helped you get to this point. So talk about since then, like what are some of the things you do to, to access that in your daily life? Like if something comes up and you get triggered, I know you said journaling, but is there anything else that you, you implement daily? Oh man, I practice what I like to call objective curiosity. Um, when it comes down to any situation that I'm dealing with, any thought, anything that pops up, I always take it on from the base of objective curiosity. I take myself out, my emotions, my thoughts, I shut them off. And I look at a situation with just pure, unadulterated curiosity. Because when you come from a very black and white world, and you've been in that environment for so long, you have to understand your own faults and your own thought process. Because you you start thinking that this... A could only be the right thing or B is only the right thing or A, B, and C are the only options when it comes to something. And to make, to keep that, keep things open and um, to make sure that I'm making the best possible decisions, I always take it on from a curiosity standpoint Um, because what I've had to learn as far as like being a father and a husband and a friend and getting these businesses up and going I need to, that black and white way of thinking hurts you in regular life, like civilian life, you could say. Being black and white about stuff, it really does hinder you. It hinders your creative process. It hinders how you are in relationships, how you deal with problems, how you problem solve, how you look at yourself uh, positively. And I I take it on from that curiosity standpoint. just so I can remain open and stretch myself and see what I can and can't do out in this world. Because 
when you're transitioning, a big thing that, a big hurdle that you need to overcome is confidence. Because you're super confident in when it comes to athletics and using your body to, to do all these different things. But when it comes to life, it's a lot more mental. You got to do a lot more thinking. You got to do, just like we were talking about earlier, as far as like opening businesses up and the red tape and actually getting with people who are smarter than you or that's their specialty and getting out of the, I can do everything on my own. I don't need help uh, mindset. Like in life, no, you need help. Like you need a team. Like, and it took me a minute, but if I wasn't curious enough to my own faults, and where I fall short, I would have never gotten to the point where I'm at now. I would have been still trying to get all this stuff up on my own, burning myself out, probably would have got myself to the treatment center again um, for bad reasons this time. And um, I, I, I probably wouldn't have even gotten these businesses up to begin with if yeah. it wasn't yeah. Yeah, for this eagerness to learn. And it's almost like going from the pinnacle of reaching this best in the world status at this one thing. And then all of a sudden it's over and you have to learn something new. It, you have to have this show, this, this sense of humility of, you know, I don't know this thing. And that's really hard for guys to go for their egos to go from being the best to like showing up and be like, Hey, I don't know this thing. Like, can you teach me, you know? And like, can I learn oh. from you? Cause I mean, we didn't go from when, when you were five years old starting to play football to the NFL like you had to go through this process of learning and it's almost like start over. It's really difficult for guys to, to start at this ground level to learn something new. But when you do, you realize all the intangibles that you learned from football and your ability to handle failure and handle the emotional, mental stress and fatigue that comes with in the physical abuse. You're able to transition that into like, oh, I can handle failure. So the faster I fail, the faster I learn. And then I can continue to grow in that exponential way. 100%. That was such a great thing you just said too. Because that, when I, when I talk about the confidence, that's one of the things I talk about is people don't understand that in that athletic environment, even playing in college, you learn so many great tools that transition over into regular life. You just need to get over the, get over this barrier and understand that, yeah, you are valuable. You do have valuable value, what you've learned is valuable and can help you, but just understanding how it can help you. Um, that's the big thing. Understanding, man, this resilience that I have, this muscle that I've built through these years, most of the people in the workforce do not have that. Um, when it comes to my ability to problem solve, get over failure, most people do not have that. When it comes to um, being adaptable to situations, talking to anyone, performing under pressure, you have that as an athlete. And these people do not have that. You might not have some of their knowledge base, but because you work so ridiculously hard and way harder than a normal person, you can bridge that gap a lot quicker than most people. Um, mm. That's why I'm just like, we need more athletes in the workforce. We need more athletes getting businesses. We need more athletes in politics because that base that you build in there, it can you can basically do anything with that base. It's oh, just, yeah, it's just not understanding how to use the tools you have and use those in regular life. It's, and it's just, it's just a confidence thing it, to me mm. at this point. It's just, do you believe you can or can't? Yeah, you know? Beautiful. That's well said, man. 
Uh, so talk about your vision now and your, and your purpose. And I know it took you some time to uncover that, but like, excuse me, what are you working towards now? And, and what's the, the big vision? The big vision is right now, I want to improve um, the college football, college sports environment. I want to improve the professional sports environment, especially with the NFL and um, especially with college football. Um, because being a kid coming from the hood, coming into a situation where you're supposed to have, you're supposed to navigate through two full-time jobs and you had a 10 o'clock curfew, you know, like a month ago. And now you're 18 years old with two full-time jobs. Um, and it's a difficult process to go under. And it's a difficult process to go through when you're by yourself. Um, and it's also a difficult process to go through when you've come from an environment like many kids like me have come from where it's you're in the hood or you're in a rural area. You don't have a lot of resources. You don't have hardly anyone around you that's done what you are attempting to do. So they can't really give you too much advice. You don't have anyone that you can bounce things off of. You don't know how to do things like time management. You don't understand yourself. You don't understand purpose. You don't understand planning. And I want to teach these things to that younger environment. And as far as also, too, I want to help instill the knowledge of understanding the game within the game to these college kids as well as the NFL, these NFL athletes. And the game within the game is basically the political element that we were talking about, the business side, because that's the biggest difference between high school and college ball is you get introduced to the business side of football. And you have to understand it. And your parents can't teach you it. Um, it's really, the fact of the matter is, if you haven't gone through that and succeeded during that, you can't really show anyone else um, how to go through it. Like my parents, as as great as they were, during college, they couldn't help me during mm. like how to deal with my coach and maximize myself and do it. They, there's only so much advice that they could give me. Um, my friends too. I had to figure it all out on my own. And it's a very lonely place to be in with just not having resources to help, no mentors. And I wanted to put myself in this space to create a manual for these kids to just basically, man, I have this issue, I'm going to look through this manual. I got this problem, I'm going to look through this manual. Um, and it's going to, and it has everything breaking up, broken down. How to deal with coaches, how to deal with the environment, how to talk to people, how to... Uh, protect your brand, how to deal with trauma, because a lot of kids come in there with trauma. Um, and I really wanted to make sure that they have this there. Um, and that's and that's the end goal. Um, but how I'm doing it is I got a bunch of businesses that I'm uh, either a partner of or I, that I work with personally. And I'm using that to just build my sphere of influence and my contacts up till I get to the point where I can actually be the one of the main components of why the football culture is the way that it is. I'm one of the people that leads it. Um, my voice is heard, and I understand in order to do that, I need to build these businesses up, build my sphere of influence up, get some more money in my pocket, build more connections in order to be one of these people who are one of the gatekeepers of the culture. Um, so you want to help shift culture within actual locker rooms of current players playing? Current players playing, guys in, who are in college, people from other sports, because there's just so many problems. Like, 
when I went into K-State, I came in with, I think, 27 guys, and I finished with four. And wow. everyone else was gone. Um, I had two guys go to mental institutions while I was in college. I had many people fall out. And then even from the people who did finish, it's not, most of them don't have great lives. Um, they're either working at some BS nine to five job or just trying to do whatever to make ends meet um, because they don't know how to transfer the skills that they learned into regular life. Um, so I'm just trying to help out with both those problems right now and build yeah. upon that. That's beautiful, man. I love it. Um, what are some, some tools or some, some advice that you'd give specifically to, I mean, either a collegiate athlete that doesn't make the pros or a pro athlete that's deciding to walk away from the game or gets forced out for whatever reason has to go through this transition process. Cause all the guys I talked to, there is this, this year or two that it is, it's such a massive shift. And this is for really anybody that's going through a big transition in life, whether it's moving, losing a job, going through a breakup. And when your whole paradigm shifts, you have to have tools to process that. And I, I think like we talked about earlier, one of the biggest things I realized, especially in my journey, is there has to be this, this moment of and this process of properly grieving the loss of the old thing and mm-hmm. processing the, the emotions. Because when I was first done, I, I was hit with a lot of emotions. And I, like part of me, like I said, was really excited about moving on. And then part of me was like, you know, wow, I'm never going to be a part of this world again. And there's this loss of identity. And I don't think I actually processed that. I, I ended up buying a van and traveling the country for like two years. And it wasn't until about a year and a half through when I really sat with those emotions and started processing them. And there was a moment where I just kind of, I just let myself cry and be like, you know, I'm never going to be able to do this thing. And it was okay to just sit in that and let it go rather than running away from it. So what yeah. are some advice, advices you'd give to guys that are in that year, two year, three year process of transitioning, trying to figure out who they are without this thing they've spent their entire lives pursuing greatness at? Oh man. Um, easy. Uh, it's really four things, four things. One, just like you said, you need to make, you need to go through a period of basically debriefing from your experience, whether it's through therapy, whether it's through a trusted friend, um, preferably therapy. I would, I would say therapy. Um, but you need to go through a period of time where you're just processing what happened. And letting yourself grieve and be upset a little bit of the things that you wish you could have did and um, grieve the loss of something that you love so much. Um, you, you just need that period of time where you just, that's all you're doing. And however long that takes, because it's going to take longer or shorter for some people. But then once you go through that, you need to figure out three things. One, you need to figure out who you are and why you're this way, period. You need to understand really diving deep into your your motivations behind why was I playing football? What was I trying to get out of football? What am I trying to get out of life? What's the point of me being here? Like the purpose, which is going to lead you to the purpose behind it, which is, you know, where do I want to go and why do I want to go there? That's the second thing. Uh, Because you're going to need to do something. Well, one of the biggest things that I don't know where this came on my own journey, but I figured once I got done with football and I made my money and all that, like everything's good, you know, but I was 27, I was retired. And then I'm just like, so I'm not dead yet. Um, I still have hella time. 
there's like, it's boring not doing anything. And I thought that I could just play video games and just chill for a long time and I was going to be content. And then I remember, I knew things got bad when I went downstairs and I turned that button for the PlayStation and then I started, I almost felt like I was about to throw up because I was so sick of playing a game. Um, <laughs> you need to do something. Like you yeah. have to do something. We're made to move. Whether I like it or not, like we're made to do something. So you need to have a, a goal in mind. And then the third thing is you need a strategic plan. You need a plan. Like hoping and wishing is one thing, but having a plan with steps that you can actually knock out day in and day out is very vital. You need to know who you are. You need a period to debrief. To debrief. You need to know who you are. Um, why you're this way, you need to know where you want to go, why you want to go there, and you need a strategic plan to make all of this happen. Um, as far as to help find yourself, as far as to help to find your purpose and um, the reasoning behind things. And it's, but once you find out, you know, who you are, where you want to go, and having a plan, you know, you're going to be fine, especially after the debriefing period, you'll be fine. And, but it sucks. You know, it sucks realizing certain facts about yourself. Um, it sucks really realizing that you did a lot of stuff for the wrong reasons. Um, did a lot of stuff for the wrong reasons. It, it sucks realizing that you kind of left a lot of money on the table with some of the dumb stuff you did in certain situations. Um, I feel that big time. Big time. <laughs> I left some money on the table. Um, but at the same time, really believing that, you know, you still got a lot of time. And as long as you're still breathing, you can still make that life that you want to live like a reality. It's very capable and you have tools now and you're a lot further ahead than a lot of people, whether you realize it or not, even though you still have that learning curve of the different things you're trying to get into you're still way farther ahead than most people. Like it, it, like playing football wasn't all for naught. Like it definitely had its positives. Yeah, totally. I mean, like all, I know you probably feel the same way. Like all the lessons that football provided is like lifetimes worth of lessons. It's such a microcosm. Like whether it's a, a season, you learn so many lessons in a season, whether it's a, a game in a week, whether it's the actual just game, like, the quarters of a game, like each quarter could provide its own lesson, like handling failure, getting beat on a play, getting crushed. Oh, then getting a, a pick for you or a sack and like being able to handle that success as well. And like, there's just so many lessons that football provides us that we do have this wealth of wisdom that we can take into the real world with us. And like, we might not know the actual practical things, but those things are all learnable. And if you show up and have the desire and eagerness to learn, all of the other stuff that most people don't ever experience, maybe take a whole lifetime to experience the amount of lessons you might have in just a single season, but you have years of seasons. If you can like take that and channel that energy into being of service in a bigger way and trying to find a way to provide value to the world, like you will not only feel super fulfilled internally by providing value, but it's actually going to just add a lot of energy to your life and it's going to give you something to work towards and challenge yourself in new ways, which is all super healing and it adds value to the world. 100%. Yeah. Seeing how you are valuable to the world and how can I provide value to the world with what I am and who I am and what aligns to my inner, my inner uh, 
what I really want internally for the world to be or what I want to give the world, what are the gifts I'm trying to give? Yeah, that finding that that purpose piece, oh, yeah, it's... It's a big one. It's, it's a big one, man. Mm-hmm. And being patient with yourself too and knowing that purpose is fluid as well. It's not this rigid thing where purpose was, football was my purpose, now I got to figure out what that one thing is. Like, it's just what what am I called to do in this moment? What am I called mm-hmm. to create in this moment? What value am I called to? And that might just be being a better father, being a better uh, husband, um, showing up and just trying to become more physically capable in your body, like taking care of your body in a better way. Like all these things and it's fluid, right? And it's going to come very to you fluid. if you can listen to your body. Very fluid. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, very fluid. Very fluid. And it's going to continue to be fluid. Um, the, you know, that's why I always harp on the biggest, the bigger purpose. Like, what's that purpose that you want to help fulfill that you know is going to take you a lifetime to fulfill? Like, what is that? What's that, mm. that thing that you can always constantly work towards? What's that thing for you? Oh, I just want to make the world a better place for everyone. Yeah. Um, in any way, shape, or form that I can. Whether that's sharing my struggles with going to a treatment center, with overcoming the abuse, with my story of going through football, with whether it's money, being able to donate through this cause or that cause, do an interview here or there, start this foundation, whatever. I'm just constantly trying to just make the world a better place the best way that I know how. Um, Just so not only my kids grow up in a better world, but everyone is growing in, is living in a better world. And that's something I just, I wake up in the morning, it gets me out of bed. Like it's easy. It's an easy thing for me. I tend to ask myself, and this is when everything changed for me, is I ask myself, how can I be of service? And if I show up with the heart of service, it gets me out of my own way of trying to get things for me, which is really selfish, which inherently as a human, like when you come out with a selfish desire to accumulate, we're trying to fill that void within ourselves with a bunch of stuff. And that's why it's always fleeting and it never feels satisfying. But if you show up with a heart of service and ask yourself simply, how can I be of service in this moment? What can I do to add value to someone else's life? Whether that's just calling a friend, being a better dad, whatever it is, creating a business that has a larger impact, really doesn't matter how the scale of it all. But if you show up with that attitude of being of service, you will find a deeper fulfillment in life. It's just the way it goes. hundred percent. It's yeah. hundred percent. That's like what I forgot when I was in the treatment center, he told me like, when you're feeling down, one of the best things you can do is go help somebody. Hmm. Um, and look at, look at what it'll do to you, man. Being of service to people, it, it, it gives so much to you. If people just really understood that. Um, yeah, love it. I ask everybody um, on this podcast towards the end, um, like what's your what's your vision individually, and then what's your vision collectively. I know you shared a bit about your personal vision and what you're creating. What's your vision uh, for the collective, for humanity on the bigger scale? Like, what would you like to see happen in the world, and what kind of change would you like to see? Ooh, I would say for the world, I. It's a big goal, but I'm going to fight for it, is for the world to understand empathy. Um, That's been a big one for me. It's just understanding how to put the shoes on to somebody else and understand why they would see things the way that they're seeing them. And helping to build 
that um, skill set because I do believe it's a skill in each individual. Because I feel like if people could really put on someone else's shoes and see things how they see things, how others how someone else is seeing them and feel things how other people are feeling them, we wouldn't have a lot of the issues that we have now with the racism and the sexism in it. And there's this the flat out ignorance that's going on in our country, but that especially here, but this you know problem that's uh, globally, and that's something that you know gets me out of bed, and I try to help bridge that gap. That's why I'm as open as I am because I really want people to understand the emotional side of dealing with trauma and going through difficulties, and you know just bridging that gap. Beautiful man, and I, I feel you, man, and I. I'm so grateful for guys like you that are showing up and uncovering their own stories and being vulnerable and open about their journey because that is so healing to others and it gives them permission to step into them themselves, right? Because on a basic level, on the deepest level, we're all so much more alike than we are different. It's these stories about who we think we are that creates division and we can't solve the divisive nature of our culture and society and our world from a place of division because as soon as I think I'm right and you're wrong, then that inherently keeps division. So even when it comes to sexism or hate, like saying anti-hate is still a place of hate. Like you're hating the people that are hating, right? And it's hard to, for people to understand, like you have to rise above all of that. And it comes with empathy and compassion. When you can step into somebody else's shoes and see the world from their perspective, you start seeing maybe some of the traumas that they're going through, some of the struggles that they face, some of the stuff that happened to them when they were a kid. And that creates this compassion for who they are and an understanding rather than trying to change them on this superficial level, you can understand the deeper layers of who they are and love them through that and provide the tools that have helped you from a, from an experience that you've had and sharing it from an eye experience rather than advice gives people this understanding of it's just really an all, all an internal journey of trying to find ourselves. And when we can find ourselves, we're going to show up with more compassion, more empathy and more love. And that's, what's going to make the world a better place. 100%, 100%. My man, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. This conversation was really amazing. And I'm so glad that we, we've connected and um, I'm so glad that we have each other's support and uh, moving forward on the missions that we've been called to do. Um, you know, I'll give you an opportunity to kind of share where people can find you, maybe plug anything you're working on. And uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I was, thanks for having me on. Uh, if people want to get in contact with me, the easiest way to get in contact with me is LinkedIn. That's the platform that I check regularly. Plus, I love that the most of any other platform because it's by far the least toxic. Um, I guess when it comes to future employees being on there, people like to be on their P's and Q's. So, uh, yeah, so I stay on that one. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at rwalk56, rwalk56. Um, I have Facebook, but I barely check it. Um, don't have a Twitter. And then, um, I, man, I wish I could have told you what, what the, because my website hasn't launched, but it's going to launch. Um, but oh, go ahead what, and throw it out there. I'll put it in the show notes so people can find it when it's ready. Oh, it hasn't launched yet. So I don't even know that. Oh, you don't even know that. <laughs> well, when you do be- launch it, give it to me and then I'll put it in the show notes so people can find it. Cool. 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 I could do that. Awesome. And um, anything else? What about the book? You wrote a book. Is that launched the yet? Book, yeah, the book should be out um, within a year. It's, take, it's going through the editing process, which is a beast. It's 
You think it's just, you just write down everything and then that's it? No, you write it like four or five more times. Yeah, I'm writing a book myself. It's a lot. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Bro. <laughs> it's, yeah, and I thought once I, yeah, I wrote it and then it sucked so bad to write it that I literally let it just sit on the shelf for like a year. Like yeah. I didn't even look at it because it sucks so bad writing it. But um yeah, trying that again. So it should be out within a year. Cool, man. <laughs> yeah. But if anybody wants to follow, follow me, find out what I'm doing, I put everything up on LinkedIn and until I launch my website, then they'll be able to find me there. My man. All right, Reggie. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. We'll definitely connect again soon. Oh, no problem. Great talking to you too, Joe. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Reggie. He's an amazing guy. He's doing amazing work uh, in the world trying to help share uh, some of the wisdom that he's gone through and and acquired over the years through his own transition process, his own struggles with emotional and mental health. Um, Like like we talked about, man, that the the community aspect, going from playing professional sports, being around like-minded, high-achieving individuals in the community, and all of a sudden, that just being gone, that support, that coaching, it's really challenging, really difficult. And that's why I created a community uh, for support for those of us that are transitioning out of professional sports. Um, it's really important, you know, hearing from other people who are going through similar experiences, who understand what it's like, um, I think is really powerful and really healing. It's really hard to go communicate to someone who doesn't know what this experience is like. And that's why I think creating a brotherhood of, you know, exclusively for former male professional athletes is it's really powerful. And if you're interested in joining or, or learning more about this, then visit our website at theheartcollective.com. That's H-A-R-T collective.com. And there's an application process on there. If you're interested in joining, would love to hear from you. Or you can reach out to me directly at joe at theheartcollective.com. Would love to hear from you. And reach out to Reggie too. He's an amazing guy doing amazing work. And I look forward to connecting with him on this journey through life. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. And until next time, peace.